Chapter thirty four of Virgin Soil, Volume two by Ivan Turgenev, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. It was ten o'clock in the evening in the drawing room of the mansion of Arjano. Sipiagin, his wife, and Kalomietsev were playing cards when a footman came in and announced the arrival of a stranger, Mr. Paklin, who wanted to see Boris Andreevich on the most urgent and important business so late wondered valentina mihalovna eh queried boris andreitch wrinkling up his handsome nose what did you say was the gentleman's name he said parklin sir parklin cried kalomietsev a truly rural name parklin that is stuffing solomin that is strawing de vrai nous and you say pursued boris andreitch turning to the footman with the same expression of displeasure that his business is important urgent so the gentleman says sir hm some beggar or swindler or both together put in kalomietsev quite likely ask him into my study boris andreitch got up pardon ma bonne have a game of écarté while i'm gone or wait for me i'll be back directly nous causerons allez said kalomietsev when Sipiagin came into his study and saw Paklin's pitiful, feeble little figure meekly huddled against the wall between the fireplace and the door, he was seized with that truly ministerial sensation of lofty compassion and fastidious condescension so characteristic of the Petersburg higher official. Mercy on us! What a poor little plucked bird, he thought, and I do believe he's lame, too. Be seated, he said aloud, giving vent to the benevolent baritone notes of his voice, and affably throwing back his little head, and he took a seat before his visitor. You are tired from your journey, I presume. Take a seat, and let me hear what is the important business that has brought you to me so late. Your Excellency, began Paklin, dropping discreetly into a chair, I have made bold to come to you. Wait a bit, wait a bit, Sipiagin interrupted him. I've seen you before. I never forget a face I have once met. I always recollect it. Uh, 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 precisely where have I met you? You are right, Your Excellency. I had the honour of meeting you in Petersburg at a person who, who since then has unfortunately incurred your displeasure. Sipiagin got up quickly from his chair. At Mr. Neshtanov's. I remember now. Surely you haven't come from him. Oh, no, Your Excellency, quite the contrary. I... Sipiagin sat down again. That's as well, for in that case I would promptly have asked you to leave the house. I can give no admittance to any mediator between me and Mr. Neshtanov. Mr. Neshtanov has shown me one of those affronts which are not forgotten. I am above revenge, but I wish to know nothing of him, nor of the girl, more depraved in mind than in heart. This phrase Sipiagin must have repeated thirty times since Mariana's flight who could bring herself to leave the home where she had been cared for to become the mistress of a base-born adventurer it's enough for them that i consent to forget them at this last word sipiagin made a downward motion of his wrist away from him i forget them sir your excellency i have already submitted to you that i have not come here from them though i may nevertheless inform your excellency among other things that they are already joined in the bonds of lawful matrimony there it's all one thought Paklin. I said I'd lie a bit here, and I'm lying. Here goes. 
Sipyagin moved his head restlessly to right and left against the back of his easy chair. That is a matter of no interest to me, sir. One foolish marriage the more in the world, that's all. But what is this most urgent business to which I am indebted for the pleasure of your visit? Oh, the damned director of a department, Pucklin thought again. That's enough of your airs and graces, you ugly English monkey face. Your wife's brother, he said aloud, Mr. Markelov, has been seized by the peasants he had meant to incite to insurrection, and is now in custody in the governor's house. Sipyagin jumped up a second time. What? What did you say? he stammered, not at all in his ministerial baritone, but in a sort of piteous guttural. I said your brother-in-law has been seized and is in chains. Directly I learned this fact, I took horses and came to warn you. I imagined that I might be rendering a service both to you and to that unfortunate man whom you may be able to save. I am much obliged to you, said Sipyagin in the same feeble voice, and with a violent blow on a bell shaped like a mushroom, he filled the whole house with its clear metallic ring. I am much obliged to you, he repeated more sharply, though let me tell you, a man who has trampled underfoot every law, human and divine, were he a hundred times my kinsman, is in my eyes not to be pitied. He is a criminal. A footman darted into the room. Your orders, sir. The coach. This minute the coach and four. I am driving to the town. Philip and Stepan to come with me. The footman darted out. Yes, sir, my brother-in-law is a criminal, and I am driving to the town not to save him. Oh, no. But, Your Excellency, such are my principles, sir, and I beg you not to trouble me with objections. Sipyagin fell to walking up and down the room while Parklin's eyes grew round as saucers. Oh, you devil, he was thinking, and you call yourself a liberal. Why, you're a roaring lion. The door opened, and with quick steps there entered first Valentina Mialovna, and behind her Kalomietsev. What is the meaning of this, Boris? You have ordered the coach out? You are going to the town? What has happened? Sipyagin went up to his wife and took her by her arm, between the wrist and the elbow. Il faut vous armer de courage, ma chère. Your brother is arrested. My brother? Sergei? What for? He has been preaching socialistic theories to the peasants. Kalomietsev gave vent to a faint whistle. Yes, he has been preaching revolution. He has been making propaganda. They seized him and gave him up. Now he's... in the town. The madman! But who has told you this? Mr... Mr... What's his name? Mr. Konopatin brought this news. Valentina Mialovna glanced at Paklin. He gave a forlorn bow. My, what an elegant female, was his thought. Even at such painful moments. Alas, how susceptible was poor Paklin to feminine charms. And you mean to go to the town? So late? I shall find the governor still up. I always predicted that it must end so, put in Kalomietsev. It could not be otherwise. But what splendid chaps our Russian peasants are. Delightful. Pardon, madame, c'est votre frère. Mais la vérité avant tout. Can you really mean to go, Boris? asked Valentina Mialovna. I'm convinced, too, continued Kalomietsev, that that fellow, too, that tutor, Mr. Neshtanov, has had a hand in it. Jean mettrai ma main au feu. They're all in one boat. Has he been caught? You don't know. Again Sipyagin made a downward gesture from his wrist. I don't know, and I don't want to know. 
by the way he added turning to his wife il paraît qu'ils sont mariés who said so the same gentleman valentina mihalovna again looked at paklin but this time she screwed up her eyes as she did so yes in that case put in kolomietsev he knows where they are for a certainty do you know where they are do you know where they are eh 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 do you know kolomietsev began pacing up and down before paklin as though to bar the way to him though the latter showed not the faintest inclination to escape speak answer eh eh do you know do you know if i did know paklin said with annoyance his wrath was stirred at last and his little eyes flashed if i did know i should not tell you oh 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 muttered kalumetsev you hear you hear why this fellow too this fellow too must be one of their gang the coach is ready a footman announced sipyagin seized his hat with a graceful resolute gesture but valentina mihalovna begged him with such insistence to put off going till next morning she laid before him such cogent reasons the darkness on the road and every one would be asleep in the town and he would merely be upsetting his nerves and might catch cold that sipyagin at last was persuaded by her and exclaiming i obey with a gesture as graceful but no longer resolute he laid his hat on the table take out the horses he commanded the footman but tomorrow at six in the morning precisely let them be ready do you hear you can go stop the visitor the gentleman's conveyance can be dismissed pay the man eh i fancy you spoke mr konopatin i'll take you with me tomorrow mr konopatin what do you say i don't hear you will take some vodka i dare say some vodka for mr konopatin no you don't drink it in that case fyodor show the gentleman to the green room good night mr Conno. parklin lost all patience at last parklin he roared my name is parklin yes yes well that's much the same it's not unlike you know but what a powerful voice you have for one of your build good night mr parklin i've got it right now eh simeon vous viendrez avec nous je crois bien and parklin was led off to the green room and he was even locked in there as he got into bed he heard the key turn in the ringing english lock violently he swore at himself for his stroke of genius and he slept very badly early next morning at half-past five he was called coffee was handed him while he drank it a footman with embroidered shoulder knots waited with the tray in his hands and shifted from one leg to the other as though he would say hurry up you're keeping the gentleman waiting then he was conducted downstairs the coach was already standing before the house there too was kolomietsev's open carriage sipyagin made his appearance on the steps in a camel's hair cloak with a round collar such cloaks had not been worn for many years except by a certain very important dignitary whom sipyagin was trying to please and to imitate on important official occasions therefore he wore such a cloak sipyagin greeted parklin fairly affably and with an energetic gesture motioned him to the coach and asked him to take his seat mr parklin you will come with me mr parklin put mr parklin's bag on the box i am taking mr parklin he said with an emphasis on the word parklin and an accent on the letter a as though he would say you've a name like that and presume to feel insulted when people change it for you there you are then take plenty of it i'll give you as much as you want mr parklin parklin 
the unlucky name kept resounding in the keen morning air it was so keen as to set kolomietsev who came out after sipyagin muttering several times in french brr 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 and wrapping himself more closely in his cloak he seated himself in his elegant open carriage his poor friend the servian prince mihalo brenovich on seeing it had bought one exactly like it at binder's vous savez binder le grand carrossier des champs-elysees from the half-open shutters of a bedroom valentina mihalovna peeped out in the trailing garments of the night as the poet has it sipyagin took his seat and kissed his hand to her are you comfortable mr parklin drive on je vous recommande mon frère épargnez-le valentina mihalovna was heard to say soyez tranquille cried kalomietsev glancing smartly up at her from under the edge of a travelling cap that he had designed himself with a cockade in it c'est surtout l'autre qu'il faut penser drive on repeated sipyagin mr paklin you're not cold drive on the two carriages rolled away for the first ten minutes both sipyagin and paklin were silent the luckless sealer in his shabby little suit and greasy cap seemed a still more pitiful figure against the dark blue background of the rich silky material with which the inside of the coach was upholstered in silence he looked round at the delicate pale blue blinds that ran up rapidly at a mere finger's touch on a button and at the rug of soft white sheepskin at their feet and the box of red wood fitted in in front with a movable tray desk for letters and even a shelf for books boris andreitch did not much care to work in his coach but he wished to make people believe he liked to work on his journeys like thiers parklin felt intimidated sipyagin glanced at him twice over his glossily shaven cheek and with majestic deliberation pulled out of his side pocket a silver cigar case with a curly monogram on it in old slavonic type and offered him positively offered him a cigar balancing it between the second and third fingers of a hand in an english glove of yellow dogskin i don't smoke muttered parklin ah responded sipyagin and he himself lighted the cigar which appeared to be a most choice regalia i ought to tell you dear mr parklin he began puffing affably at his cigar and emitting delicate rings of fragrant smoke that i am in reality very grateful to you i may have seemed somewhat short to you yesterday though that is not a characteristic of mine at all sipyagin intentionally cut his sentence up meaningly i venture to assure you of that but mr parklin put yourself in my place sipyagin rolled the cigar from one corner of his mouth to the other the position i occupy makes me so to say conspicuous and all of a sudden my wife's brother compromises himself and me in this incredible manner eh mr parklin you perhaps think that's of no great matter i don't think that your excellency you don't know for what precisely and where exactly he was arrested i heard it was in t district from whom did you hear that from from a man well it would hardly be from a bird but what man from from an assistant of the director of the business of the governor's office what's his name the director no the assistant his his name is ulyashevich he's a very good public servant your excellency when i heard of that occurrence i hurried at once to you 
to be sure to be sure and i repeat that i am very grateful to you but what madness isn't it madness eh mr parklin eh perfect madness cried parklin and the perspiration zigzagged in a hot rivulet down his back it comes he went on of not in the least understanding the russian peasant mr markelov so far as i know him has a very kind and generous heart but he has never understood the russian peasant Parklin glanced at Sipyagin, who, turning slightly towards him, was scanning him with a chilly but not hostile expression. The Russian peasant cannot ever be induced to revolt except by taking advantage of his devotion to a higher authority, some sort of tsar. Some sort of legend must be invented. You remember the false Demetrius, some sort of regal insignia, branded in burnt patches on the breast. Yes, yes, like Pugachev interrupted sipyagin in a tone that seemed to say i've not forgotten my history you needn't enlarge and adding it's madness madness he turned to the contemplation of the swift coil of smoke rising from the end of his cigar your excellency observed Paklin, gathering courage i told you just now i didn't smoke but that's not quite accurate i do smoke at times and your cigar smells so delicious eh what what's that said sipyagin as though waking up and without letting paklin repeat what he had said he proved in the most unmistakable manner that he had heard him and had uttered his reiterated questions solely for the sake of his dignity by offering him his open cigar case paklin discreetly and gratefully lighted a cigar now i fancy is a good moment he thought but sipyagin anticipated him you spoke to me too do you remember he said carelessly interrupting himself to look at his cigar and to jog his hat forwards onto his forehead you spoke eh you spoke of that friend of yours who has married my relation do you see them they are settled not far from here aha thought paklin sila look out i have seen them only once your excellency they are living as a fact at no great distance from here you understand of course sipyagin went on in the same manner that i have no further serious interest as i explained to you either in that frivolous girl or in your friend good heavens i've no prejudices but you will agree with me this is beyond everything it's folly you know though i imagine they have been more drawn together by political sympathies politics he repeated with a shrug of his shoulders than by any other feeling indeed i imagine so your excellency yes mr neshtanov was a red-hot republican i must do him the justice to admit that he made no secret of his opinions neshtanov parklin hazarded has been led away perhaps but his heart is good put in sipyagin to be sure to be sure like markelov's they all have good hearts probably he too has taken part and will be too we shall have to protect him too parklin clasped his hands before his breast ah yes yes your excellency extend your protection to him indeed he deserves deserves your sympathy hm said sipyagin you think so if not for his own sake at least for your nieces for his wife's oh lord oh lord parklin was thinking what lies i'm telling sipyagin puckered up his eyes you are i see a very devoted friend that's excellent that's very praiseworthy young man and so you say they're living near here yes your excellency at a large establishment parklin bit his tongue tut 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 
at Solomon's. So they're there. I was aware of that. Indeed, I'd been told so. I'd been informed. Yes. Mr. Sipyagin was not in the least aware of it, and no one had told him so. But recollecting Solomon's visit, and their midnight interview, he dropped this bait, and Parklin rose to it at once. Since you know that, he began, and a second time he bit his tongue. But it was too late. From the mere glance flung at him by Sipyagin, he realized that he had been playing with him all the while, as a cat plays with a mouse. I must tell your excellency, though, the luckless wretch faltered, that I really know nothing. And I ask you no questions upon my word. What do you mean? What do you take me and yourself for? said Sipyagin haughtily, and he promptly withdrew into his ministerial heights. And again Parklin felt himself a wretched little entrapped creature. Till that instant he kept his cigar in the corner of his mouth, remote from Sipyagin, and had stealthily puffed the smoke on one side. Now he took it out of his mouth altogether, and ceased smoking. Good Lord, he groaned inwardly, and the sweat trickled over his shoulders more plentifully than before. What have I done? I have betrayed everything and everyone. I have been fooled, bought with a good cigar. I am an informer, and what can be done to undo the harm now? Lord! There was nothing to be done. Sipyagin began to doze with the same dignified, solemn ministerial air, wrapped up in his camel's hair cloak. And before another quarter of an hour had passed, both the carriages stopped in front of the governor's house. End of chapter 34